What's up, everyone? Thanks for coming on the Frary and Smith podcast for another episode. It's Thursday, February 8th, and uh, we're excited to bring you episode 180 of the show. Today is our second conversation in our trending topic series where we're discussing some of the biggest topics and, and things affecting the Sunbelt Conference. Uh, Kane, with that said, we got a lot of great feedback from, from Tuesday's episode. We spent some time uh, talking about the the incoming 12-team college football playoff. We also spent some time at the end kind of talking about the possibility in the future maybe of a group of five playoff as things continue to, to change. Um, I still think we're a few years away from that, but it was kind of an interesting exercise to begin talking about what the future could look like for the Sun Belt with the 12-team college football playoff as well as potentially a group of five playoff in the future. Yeah, no, there's no question that we're just in an unprecedented kind of watershed moment for the sport overall. And it's cool to kind of try to forecast and talk about what the future of this game is going to look like as things continue to evolve, as these topics that we'll continue tackling continue to evolve. And we kind of figure things out, not just from us talking and covering the sport, but the players, the coaches, the people in the sport are also going to have to adapt to these changes. So I think everyone likes to kind of predict and forecast and put their little hat on as if they're going to be the czar of college football and what decisions they would make. And it's just cool to talk about those conversations as well. You being a knowledgeable guy about the sport and me having my experience playing, just trying to see how this game is going to go as far as playoff stuff in the postseason, and all of these other topics we're going to talk about in this series that I can't wait to continue getting after. Yeah, Kane, I think it's interesting. And, and to the point that you make right there, the more people I talk to around the college football landscape, particularly in the Sun Belt. I think we're all trying to figure this out in this new age of college football. Things are rapidly evolving. We saw a lawsuit uh, up north just this past week uh, talking about players potentially being employees and being able to unionize. I think everyone's still trying to figure this out. But if you're listening to everything we're talking about and you're saying, I want to hear about you know y'all's thoughts on the 12-team college football playoff, uh, head over to YouTube, Apple, Spotify. That episode came out on Tuesday, and it's uh, definitely worth uh, giving it a listen. But Gang, today's show, we're continuing that trending topic series uh, around the Sun Belt. And, you know, today I think it was fitting to, to spend some time talking about the transfer portal. We're planning to dive into the, kind of the Sun Belt's positioning. We're even going to discuss that, that quarterback position, which I know you think uh, is a bit of a linchpin in terms of transfer portal activity, guys staying and going at, at different schools. And uh, we're going to ever so slightly dip our toes into the NIL race in the conference in terms of collectives. No NIL and the transfer portal are not the same thing, but uh, it's worth talking about in this conversation. And Caden, to that point, Commissioner Gill, when we talked to him a couple episodes back, he, he talked about it being a mixed bag a little bit. You, you know, you kind of you win some, you lose some uh, if you're the Sun Belt right now in the transfer portal race. Would you agree with that? Yeah, mixed bag is definitely a good place to to describe where the Sun Belt is. I think in terms of the transfer portal, there's definitely pros and cons that come with everything. And I think the Sun Belt being in the position they're at just puts the conference at large in a very unique position, just given that they're under the power five level, but they are the premier group of five level as far as conferences go. So I remember back when I was deciding coming back to App State for my senior year and the transfer portal was just starting to gain some traction. And I had teammates of mine and myself debating if we were going to go into the transfer portal or not. The things look a lot different from now till then, that's for sure. There's been changes monumentally across the conference and specifically across college football as well. So I think during this time, the Sun Belt is doing a great job as far as managing the transfer portal. And I think the greatest evidence of that is just the product of football we're continuing to get year in and year out, despite the rule changes within the transfer portal. 
Yeah, to your point, I mean, we have seen some great additions. We've also seen guys that have gone on to, you know, have big careers at, at bigger programs. Uh, but then we've also seen guys who have gone into the transfer portal never to uh, be heard of again. So to me, it's a very interesting conversation to to begin having. And we'll talk about the transfer portal in depth on this episode. And Kane, I think any conversation about the transfer portal kind of has to start, you know, with the Sunbelt's kind of positioning in this landscape. And I think it's unique, and that goes back to what Commissioner Gill said, is the Sun Belt is uniquely positioned because they are in that intersection right now between the Power Five, those the, the premier conferences right now that maybe even in the future break away from the NCAA, and some of those lesser schools, those FCS schools that a lot of the Sun Belt schools were in the past. And I think that's unique because not only are you getting guys who played at the highest levels of college football, maybe didn't get the playing time that they wanted, but then you're also getting some of the stars at the FCS level. And I think that's why you're seeing leagues like the Sun Belt, like Conference USA, like the American continue to get stronger and stronger. And to me, that's why you're seeing more upsets uh, over bigger programs, because in some ways, yes, the, the the sport is splitting apart, but there is also some parity starting to develop at the, at the mid-tier level. Yeah, and I personally love the position the Sun Belt is in personally as it relates to the transfer portal. You think about the Power Five conferences, those programs always have to deal with losing their talent to the NFL. And that's kind of the position that the Sun Belt's in now as far as losing their best talent to the Power Five. But then in the same token, the same way that these Power Five schools are now taking players from other Power Five schools or from the FCS level, bringing them up to their conference to play. It's the same thing that Sun Belt's going to have to go through year in and year out. And I think it just adds a nice fun element to the conference when you look at the talent year in and year out and kind of trying to forecast which teams are going to be good and which aren't. It definitely makes our job a little bit harder. It makes us have to do more research as far as the rosters and what to expect for teams year in and year out. But I think the fact that there's players that have come down even from the Power 5 level, you think of guys like a Chase Bryce who played at two different ACC schools, a TJ Finley who played at two SEC schools, coming down to the Sun Belt level, having amazing seasons. Then you think of a guy like a Joey Aguilar who went to a community college. You think of multiple players on Texas State's roster that have come from the FCS level up and proven themselves and have helped their chances of going to the Power 5 level, going to the NFL. I think it's just amazing, and I think we'll continue to see more of those kind of diamond-in-the-rough stories that you kind of dream about and see more in like stories about football, books and movies about football. We're going to see a lot of under-recruited guys be able to get their chance in the Sun Belt to prove that they're worthy of playing in the Sun Belt, to play in the Power 5 or the NFL, and vice versa when you think about the Power 5 level. Some talented, high-level recruits who maybe don't get their opportunity at the Power 5 level to drop down to the Sun Belt, the premier level of college football, the group of five, and prove that they do belong on that same stage. So I think it puts the Sun Belt in a very unique and special position that year in and year out is just going to continue recycling and having talent and just making the product of football even better to watch than ever, I think, for the conference. Well, and Caden, I think to everything that you just said, and it's important to mention that here on the Ferry and Smith podcast, we are pro-transfer portal. And I think a lot of people are pro-transfer portal because of stories like you just mentioned, people coming down and getting opportunities or people coming up uh, and getting opportunities. We want people to have opportunities. We continue to say, though, as many people do, that at the end of the day, there just needs to be a little bit more structure, I think, put on it. I think the leaders in college football need to continue to step up and and figure some of these things out because at the end of the day, what happened was there was just too many changes that happened at once. And now we're kind of dealing uh, with the consequences of those. And I also think it's important here to mention, and as I talk to more people around the league, I think the Sun Belt also realizes that high school recruiting is still a thing. I, I mean, a lot of these you know premier Power 5 programs uh, maybe they're not going to be as apt to do as much high school recruiting in the future. And so I think there's some guys 
that are going to end up at Sunbelt schools that, you know, might have gone to higher levels in the future because of this transfer portal, uh, you know, activity. So I think those are just some interesting things, you know, to kind of pay attention to, uh, you know, as the, the transfer portal and the discussion around it uh, continues to evolve. But you know, one of the things that, that you have talked about, and I think where we have seen the most impact from the transfer portal in the Sunbelt over the last two years is the quarterback situation and the quarterbacks that have come into this conference. I mean, just thinking over the last couple of years, you think of a Todd Santeo, you think of a Jordan McLeod, you think of a, a TJ Finley, a Carter Bradley. The The list continues to go on and on. And Caden, I think it's really interesting to see. And, you know, I think this is where you kind of have to pump the brakes a little bit. And I have to tell fans to, to be a little bit realistic because you see names go into the transfer portal and you get excited and you're thinking, well, if I'm Coastal Carolina, I'd love to get so-and-so. And, you know, we've heard it bandied about. And, and I know these numbers are close that some of the premier quarterbacks are getting a million to a million and a half dollars in the transfer portal, kind of a, an inducement, uh, you might say. But uh, Sunbelt teams are going to have to be wary of that. They can't afford a million dollars. You know, some of these some of these schools like that might be the amount that their collective has. So I think it's it's definitely worth pumping the brakes a little bit as fans and being realistic. But as we have seen, and that's why the quality of the coaching hires, I think, is so important. We continue to see quarterbacks come into this league and have success and consider me here for that. Yeah, I think as far as the transfer portal goes, the biggest just widespread impact impact outside of the Sun Belt is going to just be the quarterback position and how that's always been the premier position in football. But those stakes are just even higher now that we're going to see more transfer portal movement and a true price and dollar amount on the value of these quarterbacks. You think about the NFL level and just how every team is is looking for that franchise quarterback to take them over the top and how that game is so predicated on having a star quarterback. Well, now college teams are it's kind of always been that way, but now those stakes are even higher now, seeing that you could kind of grab your version of a tran- of, of a franchise quarterback on every in any given offseason. You think about a guy like Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma who had an amazing season, and as soon as the, the season's over, you blink and he's at Oregon as their starting quarterback, and that's kind of now their franchise quarterback. And I think in that same token, we've talked about the Sun Belt level, having quarterbacks come down and up from different levels, wanting to prove themselves. I think one of the big kind of slept on aspects of this as well is as the quarterback movement continues to be a priority and continues to evolve throughout these next couple of years of the transfer portal, we're going to see offensive transfer portal impact and team impact as a whole kind of increase as well. I think when you look at the wide receiver position specifically, these wide receivers and skill players at large are now going to be in a position where they could team up with quarterbacks through the transfer portal that they know have a proven track record, which is just something you didn't see in the past. I think about a guy like Malik Hornsby, who's transferring from Texas State to Arkansas State to play wide receiver for a young quarterback in Jalen Rayner who has proven himself. I don't think he's willing to make that change and go through the transfer portal and switch positions, not knowing that a quarterback there is kind of secure. So I think the same thing with Joey Aguilar and some of these other quarterbacks. I know if I'm a wide receiver and I'm considering a transfer portal, if I'm an offensive player or just a player at large, given the impact of the most important position of the game, I'm going to want to play for the best quarterback and the best program that I can. And now with the transfer portal, these players are going to have more of that option and more of that on their hands. So I think it's a fascinating part of the transfer portal that'll be interesting to watch evolve in these next couple seasons from the Sun Belt and beyond as well across college football. Well, and Kaden, you you and I have talked about this off air, but you know, take App State situation. Uh, you you're able to retain Joey Aguilar, and yes, there was some money that was given to Joey Aguilar. No, it was not a million dollars or anything close to that from uh, what you and I have heard. But 
you know, to the point that you just made about guys wanting to come play for a certain quarterback, you retain your quarterback, it becomes a lot easier to retain your roster. That's why Caden Robinson's still around at App State. That's why Jordan Favors is still around at App State because you keep some of those pieces intact and suddenly now guys on that roster say, you know what? If our quarterback's sticking around and, and he turned down some big time money, now I want to stick around. And if more Sunbelt schools can do that, I think that's going to be huge in the long run. Yeah, I remember when we had Tim Beck on the show for the first time when we were talking about his incoming recruiting class and he joked about his best recruit being getting Grayson McCall to stay for another season. And we kind of laughed about that. But as the transfer portal keeps evolving, his statements are making more and more sense. When you have a guy like that, like a Grayson McCall, who's kind of the foundation and the, and the focal point of your program, keeping that guy away from other schools is the best recruiting you're ever going to do. So as far as head coaches and their jobs now, with this transfer portal works, it's not only acquiring talent, it's keeping your own talent in-house. And the more of that you can keep, the better talent you can acquire. So I think it's just going to be fascinating overall watching how different Sunbelt coaches, a lot of them have proven already that they can get talent to come in. It's going to be way, way more interesting to see in the next couple of years which coaches can keep their talent and continue building on the success of some of the players they've attained through the transfer portal and developed through their own programs as well. Well, Kane, I also think it's going to be interesting, and, and we don't see it as much at the, the Sun Belt level, but you're also seeing starting to see coaches that just are getting out of the business, and, and understandably so. This you know has changed. It used to be recruiting high school players, coaching your football team, and, and going on you know runs and player development. That no longer is the case, and uh, it's honestly pushing a lot of great coaches you know out of the industry or, or into other jobs like the NFL, but Kate, and I think the other important element, you know, when you start to talk about transfer portal, and it's important to put a, a, a little asterisk here, is that these are not the same thing, and that's NIL and the transfer portal. And, and I think a lot of fans, they tend to look at the two things together and they say they are the same. But, you know, that was never the intention. NIL was obviously so that athletes could, you know, make money off of their name, image, and likeness. Now, I think we can all admit that the NCAA royally messed all of this up. And, and let's put the onus, too, on everyone in college football. I think everyone messed this up because of greed and desire to make changes. I think that's important to mention. But obviously, an important facet of this is collectives and how they're used. And it's interesting, as I talk to more collective heads around the Sun Belt in particular, the one common theme is the importance of using collectives to help retain players as opposed to using it for, you know, inducements or, or, or like you've seen reported in Ohio State, putting $13 million into this recent class to bring in guys like Caleb Downs and others. Sunbelt schools are saying, hey, we need to invest in, in some of our guys that are that are currently here. And it doesn't have to be $10,000. It doesn't have to be $50,000. Some of that might just be thousand dollars a month and suddenly those players and I know you have told me personally that if you had been given those opportunities that just means that that institution cares and that they want you to be around and that might be enough to keep you and not force you to go look at other opportunities. Yeah, there's no question that I think everyone supports NIL on a surface level. Everyone supports the transfer portal on a surface level. But when there's no rules about how they kind of overlap, things get very sticky. And that's some of the situations we're seeing play out as far as teams being under investigation for merging those worlds and it kind of being the wild, wild west of having your NIL impact your transfer portal activity. And I think 
that puts the Sunbelt in a unique position to where whichever teams are going to be able to adapt the best and have the strongest collectives and be able to navigate and merge those two worlds the best, along with the culture and just their president, the precedent at the programs, I think are going to be in a strong advantage going forward as far as this new college football marketplace that you can call it. You mentioned some of those big time programs that have those large donor bases, those absolutely huge ones are obviously going to put themselves in a different position in the grand scheme of college football. And that's kind of touching on what we talked about in the past as far as the, the latest episode with some of those top, top programs being able to just have a different level of resources and maybe potentially in the future just have a different level of a football team that can't even compete with some of these lower level teams. But I think when you look at the group of five level and the Sunbelt level at large, it's going to be very interesting to see which programs across the group of five level, across the Sunbelt level, can navigate in this space properly, can build up their collectives and have a strong reputation in that department. So when the offseason comes, maybe they can not only acquire some of these big time talents, but also be able to keep their talents, like you mentioned. So I think just as important as it is to build a strong culture, to have all of the things that you've always needed to be a successful football program in the Sunbelt, just having a strong transfer portal, having a strong activity in the transfer portal and having a strong collective right now, I think is just going to be another thing that's added to that list as far as having a successful offseason, checking things off and feeling confident about the team you're putting out on the field in every any given year. Yeah, I think two, two follow-ups to everything you just said. Again, the conversations that I'm hearing around the conference is it's more about are we building our collectives, you know, for the future? And it's not necessarily... I think a lot of Sunbelt collectives realize they're not going to be able to compete in this, uh, you know, this arms race that's taking place, but they are trying to build something that's going to be workable in the long term. You know, we've even seen, you know, and I think some of this has been corrected, but we saw Coastal Carolina's collective at one point had announced that they would be shutting down. And I think that makes a lot of schools weary. They want to be, you know, building something uh, that's going to sustain. And I think the other point to, to be made is, I think a lot of athletes, as they're starting to get paid by these collectives, they want to see continued growth. They want to see, hey, this you know this year, this football season, I made X number of dollars, and maybe this next football season, they're able to increase that payment by 50% or 100%, like I've heard that some of the Sunbelt schools uh, have been able to do as that, that base continues uh, to grow. So I think it's just interesting, and I think we're in the very infancy of collectives, and who knows, things could... Uh, all change uh, in the months ahead. Uh, there could be legislation that comes down uh, that forces, you know, all of this to change yet again. But uh, it's definitely interesting, I think, to to pay attention to uh, in terms of the conversation about the transfer portal. Okay, and last thing for me in terms of the transfer portal, and I think this is where fans are seeing the most effect right now outside of new guys on their roster, and that's just the transfer portal schedule in general. Obviously, we've seen bowl games affected by people, you know, sitting out of bowl games. We have, and, and that's in large part because of the December transfer portal window. And again, I think back to our conversation with Commissioner Gill and fans would sit here and say, well, just move it. And then you start to look at the logistics. And if these guys want to be enrolled by spring so that they can be in spring practice, it has to be then. So I think that's an interesting element. You're going to have another transfer portal window that comes up after spring practice in the month of April. That is something to keep an eye on if you're a Sunbelt fan. And then, Gaten, I think finally the, the biggest thing that we've seen affect the league recently is the 30-day window when coaches leave. I, I think about the players at South Alabama who went into the portal. Similar at James Madison because of that, that rule. We've seen it at Alabama and some other programs. For me right now, I think the scheduling of the transfer portal has to continue to be looked at and continue to be refined so that we're not creating as much chaos as we currently are. 
Yeah, I think when you look at the job of a college football coach, it's just made so much harder now with the transfer portal. You look at the initial transfer portal window that opens up in the month of December. Well, that's a month where coaches are having to deal with their own staff turnover, where coaches are getting interviewed and applying for different jobs as well and getting hired for different jobs. That's when a lot of teams are prepping to win their bowl game. That's when National Signing Day early period is now. And then on top of that, you're throwing recruiting in there with the transfer portal, trying to acquire players from the transfer portal, trying to figure out which of your own players are considering leaving next year for the transfer portal. So that already just adds initially a headache if you just make that the only transfer portal task for these head coaches and then on top of that you mentioned with the staff turnover if your head coach leaves now there's a 30-day window that's given to different programs as far as having different players come in and go from their program when your head coach leaves you mentioned the spring window in april that reopens things up you could have what you think is your roster going into spring practice and then having players leave after that and having to replace those players in the transfer portal so it's definitely making things a lot things a lot more hectic for coaches. And I love that you mentioned kind of the academic part of this, because I think with the rise of NIL and with the rise of transfer portal in general, I think that's one of my bigger takeaways overall. And probably my final thought is just kind of a cautionary tale for players that are considering going in the transfer portal. As much as we like to talk about the transfer portal, as much as the, the big name headlines are made when a five-star flips his transfer portal um, commitment and goes somewhere else, I think what's not getting talked about enough is the players that are going in the transfer portal and aren't coming out. I mean, when you're given a scholarship and you have the opportunity to further your education and go and get a degree at a program for free, that's a very once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I think some players may be throwing that away by going in the transfer portal, thinking the grass might be greener on the other side and ending up not with a scholarship in their hands anymore. So I think that's a fascinating part of the transfer portal that I think should be more of a priority. I know some kids are getting in the portal without as much cachet as a high school recruit or maybe not the film that they need to get to another program. And I just know for a fact that my mother back in the day with a limited amount of film going into the transfer portal would not have been in her plan. So I just hope that these players going forward have more guidance overall in the NIL space and the transfer portal space and do realize that academics are the most important part of this. And hopefully going forward, we see less players that are getting kind of left behind in the transfer portal. This isn't NFL free agency. These aren't guys that have made a couple million dollars already and can kind of sit back when things are over. These are young men and young women even in other sports who have a scholarship and when they go in the transfer portal are risking that not coming back to them their way. So I think that's another thing that should be touched on as well overall when talking about the transfer portal across all of college football, all sports and all programs. Yeah, Kane, I think that's great perspective because, you know, you think about it, if this was you, you know, early on in your career, maybe you're sitting at fourth on the depth chart in terms of safety and, and suddenly with limited practice film, you decide to put yourself into the transfer portal. You've gone from being fourth on the depth chart to maybe 165th on the depth chart. So You're I think right. that that's uh, something important, uh, you know, to, to pay attention to. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget, we're coming back on Tuesday. We are taking a quick break from our trending topics uh, series. And, and for good reason, we're breaking back out the Frary and Smith bail bag, which are some of Caden's favorite episodes. Our graphic designer, Brett Jemis, is going to join us. Uh, you're going to get to see uh, his face on an episode again as he kind of helps moderate that. But if you have a question for us, head over to your email, go type in prairieandsmith at gmail.com, send us a question, drop us a DM on Twitter. You know where to find us. That'll do it for us here at the Prairie and Smith podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do for us. If you're not watching this on YouTube, head over to YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Uh, we're pumping out a lot of great content right now, and we don't want you to miss it. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. We really appreciate you continuing to spend time with us. Let's goodbye for now. 